Praise the Lord, everybody. How's everybody doing today? Everybody have a good week? All right. All right. We want to thank you guys for coming out on today. This is the day that the Lord has made. Come on, clap your hands. Praise God. We're going to get right into the word. As many of you know, we are in our series in the book of 1 Samuel. Um, we actually knocked out two chapters on last week. Um, so we are now at 1 Samuel. We knocked out two chapters in Bible study on Wednesday night. Um, so we're now at 1 Samuel, the 13th chapter. Uh, so when you get there, say amen. Amen. We're going to get right into it. You guys ready? 1 Samuel, 13th chapter, uh, starting at the first verse. Um, just gonna, we're just going to go right into it. You guys ready? All right. All right. So good to see your faces. <clears throat> Amen. And it says Saul was 30 years old when he became king and reigned 42 years over Israel. He chose 3,000 men from Israel for himself. 2,000 were with Saul at Michmash and the Beth Hills country. And 1,000 were with Jonathan and Gibeah of Benjamin. He sent the rest of the troops away, each to his own tent. Jonathan attacked the Philistine garrison that was in Geba, and the Philistines heard about it. So Saul blew the ram's horn throughout the land, saying, let the Hebrews hear. And all Israel heard the news. Saul has attacked the Philistine, the Philistine garrison, and Israel is now repulsive to the Philistines. Then the troops were summoned to join Saul at Gigal. The Philistines also gathered to fight against Israel, 3,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and troops as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They went up and camped at Michmash, east of Beth-Avon. The men of Israel saw that they were in trouble because the troops were in a difficult situation. They hid in caves, thickets, among rocks, and in holes, and in cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul, however, was at Gilgal and all his troops were gripped with fear. He waited seven days for the appointed time that Saul had sent, but Samuel didn't go come to Gilgal, and the troops were deserting him. So Saul said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. Then he offered the burnt offering. Just as he finished the burnt offering, Samuel arrived. So Saul went out to greet him. And Samuel asked, what have you done? Saul answered, when I saw the troops were deserting me and you didn't come within the appointed days and the Philistines were gathering at Michmash, I thought the Philistines will now descend on me at Gigal and I, have sought the, and I haven't sought the Lord's favor. So I forced myself to offer the burnt offering. Samuel said to Saul, you have been foolish. You have not kept the command which the Lord your God gave you. It was at this time that the Lord would have permanently established your reign over Israel. But now your reign will not endure. The Lord has found a man loyal to him and the Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people because you have not done what the Lord commanded. Then Samuel went to Gigal to Gibeah and Benjamin. Saul registered the troops who were with him, about 600 men. Saul, his son Jonathan and the troops who were with them were staying at Geba of Benjamin, and the Philistines were encamped at Mishmash. Raided parties went out from the Philistine camp into three divisions. One division was headed toward Ophrah, road landing leading to the land of Saul, to the land of Shul. I'm sorry. <clears throat> the next division headed toward the Beth Horon Road, and the last division headed border road, headed down the border road that looks out over the valley of Zebium toward the wilderness. No blacksmith could be found in all the land of Israel because the Philistines had said, otherwise the Hebrews will make swords or spears. So all the, Israels went, all the Israelites went to the Philistines to sharpen their plows, mattocks, axes, and sickles. The price was two-thirds of a shekel for plow and mattocks and one-third of a shekel for pitchforks and axes and for putting a point on an ox goad. So on that day of the battle, not a sword or a spear could be found in the hand of any of the troops who were with Saul and Jonathan. Only Saul and his son Jonathan had weapons. Now Philistine garrison took control of the pass at Michmash. Lord, do it again. Lord, do it again. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, Lord, do it again. Anybody ever have a moment where you need God to just do an instant replay and give you victory like he's given you victory before? 
So we're there now in uh, 1 Samuel, the 13th chapter. I'm going to just walk you through it for just a couple moments. And we understand here now that Israel is now under a new king. Anybody remember what this new king's name is? All right, all right, y'all paying attention. So Israel is under a new king, and the Bible says that during this time that Samuel is getting older. But there was a prophecy that was given to Samuel when he became the judge of Israel. And the prophecy that was given to Samuel when he became the judge of Israel was that as long as he lived, that Israel would be at peace with their enemies. Isn't that a wonderful prophecy? That as long as you were alive, that you wouldn't have anybody that would come up against you. I wish we would have that testimony now. But unfortunately, we have all types of battles that we come up against in our life. Uh, but Samuel, because he was in the will of God, because he was purposed by God, and because he was called by God from his mother's womb, God had given him a word from the Lord that as long as he was alive, and as long as he did the will of God and the work of God, that God would give him protection over all of his enemies. Samuel now is getting older. And one thing we understand is that the enemy is always watching. The devil is always watching, y'all. And one way that the enemy works is he's always looking to see where you are in your most vulnerable state. Uh huh. I'll give you an example. Peter says, beware for the devil is like a roaring seeking whom he may. Y'all heard that scripture before? How many remember the book of Job? In the book of Job, the Bible says, and the sons of God presented themselves to the Lord. And who came in the room with them? And what did Job, what did God say to Satan? He says, Satan, what you doing here? And what did Satan say? He says, I've been walking to and from the earth seeking whom I may devour. That's how the devil works. He's always looking for the right time and the right point to pinpoint you in your weakest moment. That's why you got to always stay prayed up because the devil's always trying to get busy when you're in a vulnerable state. Uh huh. Uh -huh. So, so Israel appears to be in a vulnerable state because Samuel is old. And the devil thinks that Samuel is like Eli. He thinks that his eyes is half open and he's not aware of his surroundings, but God is with him. So now what the enemy does is he now uses a man by the name of Nadash. Nadash is over the land called Ammon, where we get the Ammonites. I'm going to go a step further because now y'all like, what is all these people? The Ammonites are actually cousins of Israel. Because Abraham had a nephew by the name of and Lot had two sons by the name of Moab and Amnon. We ain't going to get into how they were born, but they were incestuous children. And Amnon can't stand Israel. So now the enemy thinks because Samuel is old, this is the perfect time for me to creep in and mess with Israel. And that's the way the devil tries to work in our lives is he thinks that because you going through a little something, this is the best time for me to creep in your life and cause controversy in your life. But look at your neighbor and say, I still got some victory. I feel like preaching today. Uh -huh. I, I, I might not have all the money in my pocket like I want and everything might not be going the way it's supposed to go. And my job might be acting foolish and everything might be acting crazy in my family. And if, if, if I didn't have God on my side, I would have been lost my mind. But because God God is on my side. Even in my so-called weakest moment, God is still on my side. Do I got a witness in here? Uh -huh. you, ain't, you ain't where you want to be, but God is still with you. Things ain't where everything's supposed to be. Things is out of tact and everything ain't the way you wrote it out on your vision board, but God still is on your side. And because God is on your side, even at your weakest moment, I'm here to tell you no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Yes. He's helping me preach. So Nadash comes up against Israel. But what they don't, what Nadash doesn't understand is that God has anointed a king in the previous chapter. He has poured oil on him and his name is Saul. So when Nadash comes up against Israel, they say, we'll give you seven days to try to find somebody to beat us. Yes, yes, I'm in first Samuel 11th chapter. Go ahead. Can you imagine you stepping up in the playground and somebody be like, I'll give you seven days to find somebody else on this playground to beat me. <laughs> that means you a bad boy. You so bad. You guarantee ain't nobody on the playground can beat you. That's how Nadash is. Nadash is so confident in his ability that he gives Israel seven days to find somebody that can beat him. Uh, but you messed up. 
because now the Bible says that Saul is walking home with his cat, with his cattle, his oxen. And he sees all these men crying their eyes out because they know they ain't going to find nobody in seven days. They like, you know what? Nadash is right. But what they forgot was that God had anointed Saul. And Saul is walking with his oxen, which tells us something. It tells us that even when he's anointed, he's still doing the work of his father. Amen. Remind you of somebody. Jesus Christ. Amen. That even though he is Christ Jesus, he still does the work of his father. Amen. Does this make sense? Amen. So he's walking with his father's oxen and he asked them, what is going on? And they're crying. They said, Nick, dad said we only got seven days or we all going to die. He going to poke all of our eyes out because that's what he said. He said, I don't even want to kill you. I just want to poke your right eye out. That's what he said. Yeah. Yeah. Just so I can humiliate you. So you have a whole bunch of Israel folks walking around with pirate things around their eye, pirate patches. That's a bad boy. I don't even want to kill you. I just want to embarrass you. And that's how the enemy works sometimes. He don't even want to kill us. He just wants to embarrass you. That's right. He wants to leave you afflicted so he can say, you see that? I did that. That's right. Because sometimes the worst punishment is for you to live through it. Exactly. (laughs) Sometimes dying is easy compared to living with humiliation for the rest of your life. So what the enemy says is, I don't even want to give you the out of dying. I want you to live for the rest of your life knowing what I did to you. Ain't that deep? So Saul says, what is going on? They say, yo, he's giving us seven days, so he's going to poke us high out. And the Bible says something happens. It says, and the spirit of the Lord came upon Saul. Yes. Now, this is the same guy in the previous chapter was timid, was shy was hiding behind a wagon when they was trying to find him and anoint him to be king. Yes. Was the same guy that didn't have no money to, to go to the priest, was the same guy that tried to find an excuse to turn around. And now in the next chapter, when the spirit of God falls upon him, he finds a boldness that he never had before. What does that tell you? It tells you that when the anointing of God is on you, it'll make you do stuff that your flesh would never do. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Do I got a witness in here? Uh-huh. So, so I was known as being timid, but now that I got the Holy Ghost, <laughs> I'm able to speak to things that I used to be afraid of. I'm able to look at a doctor's report and still claim my healing. I'm able to look at things going on in my finances and still say that things are going to get better. I'm able to look at family members that ain't saved and say God is still going to save them. Do I got a witness in here? When you got the Holy Ghost, you're able to boldly proclaim things that are not as though they were because God is on your side. So he looks at this thing and he says they outnumber us, but I got somebody on my side who still will defeat them. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Saul has this new anointing, this oil. And at this point, we remember in the 10th chapter, at the end of the 10th chapter last Sunday, it said that he had haters at the end. Yes. Y'all remember that? Yes. It said that there were some folks that was hating because he was the new king. That's and we talked about that. How in the world are you going to hate from me and we from the same tribe? Right. Uh-huh, but now that the anointing is on him, the Bible says he takes an oxen, chops it up, sends it throughout all of Israel and says, if you ain't with me, you against me. And the Bible says in that day, 360,000 men followed him. Mm-hmm. Which shows you that when the anointing of God hits you, it inspires other people. Yes. That's right. Yes. That's right. <laughs> the anointing inspires. Yes. So now he has an army of 360,000 people with him, and they go to war and they kill and wipe out Ammon. Not only does they do they beat the Ammonites, but the Bible says they beat the Ammonites so badly that they were so separated that no two were ever together again. Amen. That's the word. Which meant that an Ammonite and an Ammonite could never have another baby again. Which meant that he wiped them out to the point that there would never be another generation of Ammonites. And this sounds exciting, doesn't it? God has finally anointed us a king. And look at what our king has done. Forget the fact that in the previous chapter, God told us that we, we rejected him. So basically, I can imagine him looking at God saying, see, God, I told you we was right. Look at our king. Not realizing that God was the one that anointed that king to do that, but I told you, Jesus. Y'all laughing, but that's some of y'all sometimes. You reminded Jesus of what you said. I told you, Jesus, I was going to be all right. And Jesus like, if you only knew my hand was on you the whole time. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You sitting here thinking you telling me something. You fail to understand that it's my glory. It's my hand. It's my strength. It's my direction. It's me speaking in your ear telling you not to go down that street. It's me over there telling you to get away from that. And you sitting over here telling me what you done did. Mm-hmm. Come on now. <laughs> so 
I can imagine at this point they're looking at God and <laughs> we got a king, like I said, hey, hey. <laughs> and Samuel now gets up and he does his farewell speech in the book of 1 Samuel, the 12th chapter. This is the last time we'll hear a long speech from Samuel again. And he states his cause in the 12th chapter and he says, have I ever stolen from you? Have I ever done anything wrong from you, for you, to you? Have I ever led y'all astray? Have I ever prophesied a word and it has ever hit the ground? And they look at him and they say, nah, you ain't never do none of that. And he says, you know what, I made my case, but let me make this case. Has God ever forsaken you? When you were down in Egypt and they was whooping your tails and killing your babies two, year, two years and under, did I not provide a way of escape? When the Philistines came in the book of Judges and they was whipping you, did I not raise up Deborah? Yes. When the Midianites came up against you, did I raise up Gideon? When the Philistines came back again, did I not raise up Samson? Did I always have a room for escape every time the enemy came up against you? And they say, yeah, 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 you, you did. So he says, then why have you turned your back not only on me, but why have you turned your back on God and sought a king? Yes, yes. And the Bible says they begin to cry out and say, God, we sin. But this is what got me there. Samuel stops them and says, yes, you sin. But even though you sin, don't stop praying because God is still on your side. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And sometimes we make mistakes, and I'm here to let you know that is not the time to quit. Amen. Because in most cases, when we fall short, we isolate ourselves. Yes. We stop worshiping. Yes. We stop going to church. Yes. We judge ourselves. Yes. But we don't repent. Yes. yes. Adam eats from the tree of the, the tree of, from the tree of knowledge, and the Bible says he goes and hides. He doesn't repent. Judas betrays Jesus, but he doesn't repent. He tries to run. And in most cases, sin puts so much shame on us that it makes us run rather than repent. Yes. And what Samuel is saying, just don't run. Because even though you've made a mistake, God's hand is still on you. Yes. I'm so glad that even in all my flaws, he's kept his hand on me. Yes, who am I talking to in here? And all the mistakes I've made, he still said, I know you messed up, but my hand is still on you. All those times I did what I wanted to do and God told me to do this and I did that. I'm so glad that he didn't just let me fall, but he picked me back up and he said, I still got you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, bless your name, God. Thank you. He says, not only will God keep his hand on you, but even though because even though you rejected me, watch this. Even though you told me I'm not good enough as your judge, even though y'all fired me as the judge of all Israel, I will still not cease to pray for you. Yes, yes, Thank you. How many of you can pray for people that rejected you? Oh, it's easy for us to hold hands right now and pray for somebody we all love. But when was the last time you prayed for an enemy? When was the last time somebody told you you wasn't good enough and you still prayed for them? Yes. When was the last time somebody rejected you and you got on your knees and you interceded for them? Whew. When was the last time somebody did you dirty and you fasted for them? <laughs> I love the faces in here right now. When was the last time you cried out, God help them, they hate me, but I love them. I ain't got one amen. <laughs> Samuel says, I cease, watch this, not to stop praying for you. Y'all can look this up when you get home. It's in the 12th chapter of 1 Samuel. I, we talked about this in Bible study. I cease not to pray for you. Watch this. Because if I cease from praying for you, I'll be in sin. Which tells us that sometimes we're in sin when we don't pray for our enemies. Y'all like, what? You are sinning when you don't pray for somebody that did you wrong. 
what does Jesus tell us? He says, pray for those that despitefully yeah. use you. Yeah. Huh? Mm-hmm. Oh, I like this. I'm just getting into the core of some things. <laughs> <laughs> so he says, not only will I not stop, watch this, praying for you, but I'm also going to continue to teach you the law, even though I know you're not going to listen. I can't imagine preaching the gospel every Sunday to y'all and I know y'all ain't gonna never apply it. I'm gonna be real with y'all, I'll probably quit. If I know I'm gonna sit up here and, and study at work <laughs> and do all this writing and do all this studying and reading this scripture 50 and 60 times all week and looking at seven and eight to 10, nine, 11, 12, 13 commentaries and trying to understand the words in the Greek and the Hebrew. This is what I do during the course of the week for Sunday. And do all of that just for y'all to still say, man, get out of my face. I quit. But Samuel says, I know you're not going to listen to me. But you know what? I'm still going to preach it to you. Just in case God changes your heart. Yes, yes. Not only that, but on judgment day, I'm going to be held accountable on who I gave the gospel to, whether they listened or didn't. So I'm not going to be held in contempt to God by not sharing the gospel to you because I made an assumption that you won't listen. I'm going to still preach the gospel whether you listen to me or whether you don't. This is a powerful preacher, y'all. And Samuel preaches to a church every Sunday with dead ears. Samuel preaches the gospel every week to a church with a dead heart. Samuel preaches the gospel every Sunday to a generation of people that don't want God. They want a king. But he doesn't stop preaching. Oh, with me? Amen. Am I, am I talking too slow? Now we're at the 13th chapter. And when we get to the 13th chapter, we see something here. Y'all with me? Y'all sure? Amen. Saul was how old? 30. No, he wasn't. He was not 30 years old. Uh-oh. Anybody got a King James Bible? Yeah. What does it say in the first verse? It doesn't say the same. Says how long he reigned. One year. So all it says he reigned one year. Oh, one says he reigned two years. One says he reigned two years. So the question I got to ask you is, how is he 30 years old? And in the next chapter, we're going to see that his son was over a camp of soldiers, which means that he has a grown son. How you 30 with a grown? How you 30 with a 25-year-old son? <laughs> I mean, Saul was fast. <laughs> Real fast. He was five. <laughs> or there's some translation issues. There's some translation issues. Saul is only reigning at this point for about one year. And then what most scholars believe is that Saul is probably between ages, probably in his 40s. He's between 45 to 50 years old at this point. So Saul is not uh, like David, who was 17 when he was anointed. Saul is anointed about 45 years old. That's neither here or there, but he's, he's not necessarily 30 years old because I know some of y'all that are analytical, you're going to read this, you're be like, how in the world did he have a grown son fighting with him and he's 30? So Saul is <clears throat> 30 years old when he became king and he reigned 42. That's another question, questionable um, number as well. Uh, You have to understand that there's new Hebrew and there's old Hebrew. Just like there's the King English and there's modern day English. And there's a lot of uh, uh, differentiated words and mix-ups. 
So what some believe is that Saul is probably about 45 to 50, and he reigned about 22 years, which means that he probably died around 70, 72 years old, okay? That's just me just trying to do a little, little history thing here. So he's 30 years old, and he became king, and he reigned over 42 years in Israel. He chose how many men? 3,000 men for Israel for himself, and how many? Uh, 2,000 were with Saul at Michmash at Beth Hill's country, and 1,000 were with who? Jonathan and Gibeah of Benjamin. And he sent the rest of the troops away, each to his own tent. So he has 3,000 men that are traveling with him and his son, and their job is pretty much to be like secret service. So at all times, Saul has about 2,000 men around him that are equipped to guard him for his life, just in case the enemy gets busy. And he loves his son so much that he puts another 1,000 armed soldiers around his son to protect him in the case that something happens. His son is at Gibeah. Gibeah is uh, Saul's hometown. So his son is in his hometown. Saul is at Bethel, is at Michmash, which is in Bethel, Bethel's hill country. Uh, and there's 3,000 men there. <clears throat> you with me? Next verse, Jonathan attacked the Philistine garrison that was in Geba, and the Philistines heard about it, so Saul blew the ram's horn throughout the land, saying, let the Hebrews hear. Now, let's, let's work with this for just a couple moments. Who attacks? His son attacks. Now, during this era, the Philistines are still the strongest. God has given them a king, but the Philistines are still ruling. This is the first of three wars we're going to read about in the next few chapters. So the Philistines are still roaring, and Jonathan seen what his daddy did two chapters ago. He sees the anointing is on his daddy, so what does he do? He stirs the pot, saying, my daddy got this because the Spirit of God is on him. And now he stirs a pot with an enemy that's bigger than Israel. And now Saul, he blows the ram's horn oil throughout the land, saying, let the Hebrews hear. Watch this. Can I work with this for just a minute? Y'all got like two minutes. Y'all got two minutes. Y'all got two minutes. Y'all got two minutes. See, the first time that God worked on Saul, the spirit of the Lord came upon him. Y'all with me? This time we ain't heard nothing about no spirit of the Lord. So he's getting ready to go to war without God. And in too many cases, we have had moments where the Holy Spirit enabled us. And we think that the power came from us, but it was for the moment that God was on you. That's right. And now you're trying to operate in your strength, failing to understand that it wasn't your strength the first time. It was the Holy Ghost that was on you. Amen. And rather than you running out there trying to go to war again, you need to make sure that the Holy Ghost is with you again before you go out to war rather than operating in your own strength. So one of the problems that we have in the church, y'all, is we got a lot of people that are operating in their own strength because God anointed them once. Yes. Yeah, good word. Tell it. Good word. I'm a prophet. You're not a prophet. God used you to prophesy one time. That's right. Okay, good word. Preach. Good word. I'm a preacher. You're not a preacher. We clapped our hands for you because you sat down. <laughs> and we're operating thinking that it's the anointing when possibly God only used you for a specific moment in your past. That's why the name of this message is God do it again. Because God, you gave me victory in my last battle. And I'm not going to walk into this new battle thinking that it was my strength last time. I need you to endow me with your Holy Ghost again so that I can be prepared for my next battle. So now Jonathan is stirring the pot off of his daddy's anointing two chapters ago and his daddy's operating and has never sought the Lord. Mm. Y'all with me? Next verse. And all Israel heard the news. And all Israel what? And what did they say? Saul what? But who did it? Jonathan did it. (laughs) But the word went out that Saul did it. Ain't that how it goes? Jonathan stirred the pot, but the word went out that Saul did it. Saul has attacked the Philistine garrison, and Israel is now repulsive to the Philistines. Then the troops were summoned to join Saul at Gigal. So now watch this. Everybody's running because they remember what God did last time. Last time we showed up 360,000 deep, and we was ready. And God get ready to do it again. So they run up thinking that they're getting ready to operate 
of the old anointing. Man, I, I'm about to holler in a minute. Next verse. The Philistines also gathered to fight against Israel. So watch this. They ran up Israel 360 deep this time. And then they look over on the other side and they see 3,000 chariots, which is actually 30,000 chariots. 6,000 horsemen and troops as numerous as the sand on the seashore. Which means you got 360,000. We got 360 million. I ain't gonna doubt, I doubt it's that many people, but their number is outnumbering Israel. So initially we're going out there ready to fight, but when we saw what we was up against, Watch this. They had 6,000 horsemen and troops as numerous as the sand of the seashore. They went up and camped at Michmash east of Beth Haven. Next verse. The men of Israel saw that they were in trouble because the troops were in a difficult situation. They hid in caves. Look at this. This is, this is, this is Israel. They hid in caves, thickets, among rocks, and in holes, and in cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Watch this. <laughs> All right, just so y'all can get some understanding of this, right? How many of y'all remember the children of Israel coming out of Egypt? Now, when they came out of the out of the land of Egypt, there was three tribes that decided they didn't want to go over the Jordan. It was the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe Manasseh. Y'all heard that before? And they told God, we don't want to go over to Jordan. This land right here is good enough. And Moses and them was mad. They was going to kill him. But God said, no, let them have that land. But tell them that they're going to have to fight with you over in the Jordan. Then they can come back. That's right. So the Gadites are on the whole other side of the Jordan. When they seen that the Philistines came as deep as they was, these brothers got on boats and went over to the Jordan, all the way back over to the land of Gad because they had that kind of fear on them. So the men of Israel saw that they were in trouble because the troops were in a difficult situation. They hid in caves, sticking them in rocks and holes and cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul, however, was still at Gigal, and all his troops were gripped with God has not given us the spirit of fear. So if God has not given us the spirit of fear, it tells us that they must have the lack of God. Say it again. If God has not given us the spirit of fear and they're gripped with fear, it means that God is missing. Not once have we heard God in the whole equation. Not once have we heard worship, prayer, and Israel turned their faces to God, and Israel fasted, and Israel sought the Lord with all their might. No, they're ready to go to war without God. And when you try to go to war without God, I promise you, you'll be gripped with fear. But when you go to war with God and that anointing of the Holy Spirit falls on you, there's a certain grip of fear that has to break off of you because you recognize who's on your side. They didn't know who was on their side, so they're scared. Amen. Now, this is the same king you just anointed. How you running? Is this your king? All right, three of y'all seen Black Panther. So Saul, however, was still at Gigal, and all his troops were gripped with fear. Next verse. He waited how long? Seven days for the appointed time that Samuel had set. Now, what have we learned about Samuel? He's always late. Samuel is always on his own time. He's on SP time. <laughs> Samuel people time. Samuel is always late. Y'all read the scripture. Samuel is always, if Samuel say he's going to be there in seven, just wait another day. Samuel is Wesley White. Let me stop. <laughs> Y'all know I had to pick on Wes. <laughs> he waited how long? Seven days for the appointed time that Samuel had said, but Samuel didn't come to Gigal, and the troops were what? 
they were deserting Saul. Why? Because they have a lack of God. So what did Saul do? He says, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. Then he offered the burnt offering at just as he burnt. I'm sorry. He offered the burnt offering just as he finished the offering, the burnt offering. Samuel arrived. So Saul went out to greet him. Let's stop right here. Samuel is what? The priest. And whose responsibility is it to do the offering? The priest. And what does Saul decide to do? And what does this do? This messes it up because that ain't your assignment. And whenever you operate in something that you're not assigned to do by God, you'll always have chaos. I know that's right. Amen. <sighs> Saul is trying to work as an autonomous king, as priest and king. But that's not what God called him to be. That's right. God called him to be the king. God did not call him to be the priest. Amen. I'm almost done, y'all. Priests offer sacrifices because they're consecrated. That's right. They're set aside. Yeah. They're holy. Yeah. Their assignment is to do this all the time. Yeah. You don't even know what you're doing. Now, can I go a step further? Not only did he mess up by, uh, by offering the sacrifice, but he also messed up on how he offered the sacrifice. He offered the sacrifice out of fear and not faith. Oh, my. Oh, my. You can't offer God anything out of fear. Amen. It's not a sacrifice. Amen. A sacrifice is when you offer God something by faith. <laughs> by faith, God, Abraham offered his son Isaac. Yeah. By faith, Rahab trusted those men and put the scarlet, the scarlet upon her house. By faith, not by fear. Saul is operating by fear and not by faith. So the offering is not, sac is not, all, is not pleasable to God. Yes, bless your name. So he's offering something because he's scared. And you know what that is? That is, God, I'm going to give this to you because I, I don't know whether or not you're going to really do it. I don't really trust you. Here you go. God, I'm going to sell this offering. But my bills is due tomorrow. I'm going to just keep this offering in my back pocket. Cause, mm, that's fear. Faith is, I know that you're able to do it. Watch this. And even if you don't do it, you're still able to do it. Who got that kind of faith? So he's offering an offering out of fear and not faith. And Saul, Samuel finally looks at him and says, boy, next verse, you done messed up. That's me paraphrasing. Saul answered, when I saw the troops were deserting me and you didn't come within the appointed days and the Philistines were gathering at Michmash, I thought the Philistines will now descend on me at Gigal. Watch this. And I haven't sought the Lord's favor. How are you offering an offering and you ain't even seek God? offering an offering to God. Do you know what that is? That's you think, thinking things just going to work out and you don't have a prayer life. Wow. Or how about that prayer at the last minute? <laughs> you ain't do what you were supposed to do. Jesus, I know, I know. I need you to touch me right now because I'm... Y'all remember those days back in high school when you ain't study? <laughs> and that teacher handing out them, them, them tests? You was the greatest prayer warrior in all your high school. Come on now, Jesus. Touch this paper. Anoint my hands to put it on the right letter. Amen. I'm trusting you right now. You trusted all the way to the end. You handed it in to the teacher. In the name of Jesus, this is going to be a hundred. Oh, I'm the only one. No. I'm going to tell you, I took my SATs on prayer. <laughs> Help me, Jesus. That's many of us. We wait till the last second to find Jesus. And now he said, I haven't sought the Lord's favor. I went and offered a sacrifice, 
but I didn't even go to God and ask him to strengthen me for this battle. If he knew what was right, and I'm going to close here. If Saul knew his history, he would have known that God works best when our back is against the wall. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. He's looking at numbers, but he's not looking at the strength of God. Yes. Because if history served me correctly, there was a man by the name of Abraham. And when his nephew Lot was taken by the five kings, the Bible says that Abraham only had 318 servants. But Abraham and 318 men by force took over five different countries and was able to take all the spoil. If history serves me correctly, there was a man by the name of Gideon. And God says, I want you to take them out and I want you to see how they lap the water. And whoever laps it this way, get rid of them. But whoever laps it this way and cuffs their mouth, keep them. And when he got done, there was only 300 men. God cut it down from 10,000 to 300 people. But with 300, God gave him the victory, which tells me that in most cases and in most obstacles, God works best when we get out of the way. I see one of the problems is, is we're trying to build armies in our situations. We're trying to stack our money. We're trying to stack our cash. We're trying to stack this and make the right connections. And God says, no, I'm going to get rid of all that. Because when I get done, bring you out. I need you to have the testimony that if it was not for me and only me, it would only be me that would bring you out. Your praise will be greater because you'll recognize if it was not for the Lord, who am I talking to, that was on my side, I would not have this victory that I have in my life. So God works best when your back is against the wall. Why are you looking at? Number saw. Oh my, oh my. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. So, so now he's scared because he don't know history. And I'm here to tell somebody today: your back is against the wall. Your numbers ain't adding up. Your opportunities are few. Your situation looks bleak. The statistics are not favoring you. If we were supposed, if we were to put a tally in, you are guaranteed to lose. But my question for you is: Is the Lord on your side? Yes. Because if God is on your side, Jody, you're guaranteed to win. Yes. Which means that I can't get caught up in numbers. I know who's on my side. I can't get caught up on how it looks. I know who's on my side. So I'm able to walk around with my head up and walk around with confidence, look crazy. But the reason why I look crazy is because you don't see what I see. I see God is on my side. And because God is on my side, victory has to be mine. Saul now goes, we talked about this earlier in the first verse, 3,000 men to 600. 3,000 men to 600 men. Not only do we go from 3,000 men to 600 men, but watch this. The Philistines are some of the smartest men ever. They recognize that when they took possession over Israel, they took their weapons. So they handicapped them from fighting back. That's how the devil works. Not only am I going to beat you, but I'm going to take your weapons that you can't come back and try to whip me. Can I go a step further? This is how he works. I'm going to beat you down so bad to where I mess with your faith to where you don't trust God to bring you out. Because I understand that faith is your weapon. Yes. So I'm going to beat you down till you have no faith. Amen. <laughs> That's how the enemy works. The enemy beats you down to where you can't trust God anymore. Yes, yes. His job is to hurt your confidence and your self-esteem so bad yes. to where you say there ain't no God. Yeah. And that's where he gets your victory. Yes. So Israel has all these men but no weapons. So what happens? They go into the land of their enemies and try to turn their plows into swords. And they say, uh-uh, we ain't going to do it. So they start overcharging them knowing they didn't have the money. And y'all want to go a step further? I ain't going to read it now. The Bible says that those men joined the other side of the Ammonites. 
So not only did you hide in caves, but you jumped on the other team. Sockers. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't, I, don't, I don't like nobody change teams on me. I'm, I'm just from that. You know, we gonna go down. We gotta all go down. They jumped on the other side. They became Warriors fans. How y'all doing now, Warriors fans? <laughs> they became Cowboys fans. <laughs> Living in Philly, but going to Dallas. <laughs> That's what they did. Talking about they from Philly, but wearing Cowboys clothes. <laughs> Putting signs outside their house. Cowboy Nation. <laughs> this is what happened in the Bible. I'm telling you what happened. They became Cowboys fans. Let me stop. <laughs> I'm going to leave you here on this cliffhanger. I'm going to give you three points, and I'm going to sit down. We're going to talk about what happened on Wednesday night. Saul done. Saul dead. Is it over for Saul? Y'all said he only reigned for one year, and he one year in, and he done already messed up. But the Bible says he reigned for 42 years. So what does that tell us? That if he reigned for two years... And, and they said that he reigned for 42, but he's only reigned two at this point. It meant that God unemployed him, but allowed him to work for 40 years. Which means that sometimes God will fire you and still let you work. How many churches are fired? But still have church every Sunday. Y'all quiet. <laughs> Ain't no glory. Ain't no move of God. God ain't even speaking. But they go every Sunday. And God done fired him. And they don't even know it. And they celebrate in 40 years. <laughs> Y'all quiet. They celebrate 100 years. We've been around 100 years. What impact have you done? When was the last time God has moved? When was the last time a soul has been saved? We got to be careful that we're not just the church. I ain't ain't knocking nobody's church, but I'm talking here. I don't want to be sitting here and God didn't fire us. And y'all up here just dancing. And we go home and it's like God like God walking down the plaza of the family dollar, like, what is they doing in that corner? I ain't trying trying to be that church. Saul has been sitting here for 40, is gonna sit here in the next couple chapters, all these years, and God then already made a way. When Samuel comes to him, he says, God already prepared another king. I don't want to be somewhere where God is just walking past me, but he's letting me operate just to operate. Let me give you these three points and we're going we're to pray and sit down. Number one, when we don't operate in the spirit of God, the spirit of fear creeps in. God has not given us the spirit of fear. That is like my, my, my scripture of the, of the week. Every time something tries to creep in, God has to remind you, I have not given you the spirit of fear. What spirit are you dwelling in right now? The Holy Spirit or the spirit of fear? Y'all know what worrying, worrying is? Yeah. Worrying is nothing but drips of fear. Yeah. It's when fear is your ceiling and it's got a leaky roof. Yeah. Then boop, 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 worry is hit. And you know what happens to a, a roof that leaks after a while? Asia. It's going to cave in. Yeah. And now you just flood it with fear. So you got to make a decision. Am I going to live by faith? Or am I going to live by fear? Number two. Seeking the Lord leads to instruction. God will never put you out there and not give you instruction. You know what the problem is? We don't like his instruction. 
Because sometimes God gives you instruction without telling you what the next step is, even though he knows what the next step is. So we don't like God telling us what to do because most of us are control freaks. <laughs> oh, y'all quiet. Some of y'all done, y'all done got it already planned out what's going to happen in your life. And God is just sitting there like, wow, I thought I was God. <laughs> Some of y'all, 2020 going to be my best year. And I, I hope it is. But we better seek God first. Number three. Depend on God and not people. Amen. If I depended on people, I'd have gave up a long time ago. All of us. Because I'm going to tell you something. As great as people are, as wonderful as people are, as much as people even love you, there will be moments of disappointment. Yes. Everybody can't meet every obligation. That's right. So true. And can I be honest? We gonna disappoint some people. I know that's right. Cause we can't meet every obligation. Then you're done yet. Here we go. Praise God. Praise God. Father, we thank you for meeting us in this place on today. Thank you, Lord, for just your glory in this place, God. We thank you, Lord, for the word on today, God. Tough word. <laughs> Next Sunday, God, and let us dance. <laughs> If, that, if that's your will, Jody might make me dance next Sunday. But God, I thank you uh, just for protecting us, keeping us, God. And God, we ask, Lord, that you do it again. Yes. God, not only just do it again, God, but give us more strength yes. for the next test and for the next storm that we may endure. God, fill us with your spirit. God, we rebuke any, anything that tries to come up against us that's not like you, God. God, we ask God right now, God, that you protect our families, God. We ask God right now, God, that you rebuke the devourer, God. Yeah. Anything that tries to come up against our finances, anything that tries to come up against our jobs, God, we ask God for your protection. Yeah. And Lord, we thank you right now, God, for victory is ours. And we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like to partner with us or make a donation, please visit our site at www.go, the number two, hopehaven.org. Our mission statement is to reach, evangelize, accept, and love. Your contribution will be a blessing to many in our local community, nationally, and even internationally. Again, thank you for listening. Stay tuned for more next week.